This evening, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, so I encourage you to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn to the book of Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to begin by reading at verse 3, and I'm going to read actually all the way down through verse 23. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, all the way down through verse 23, where we read these words. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which he have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is unto all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you, a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, that were sometime alienated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, and made a minister. Let us pray. This hope of the gospel that we have just read about, Lord, is the reason we gather here this evening, is the reason why we celebrate this institution that our Lord gave, because you have redeemed us for yourself. 
And for that, we come with both a posture of humility, but an attitude and heart filled with joy. And though there are challenges that we face in life, nevertheless, you have assured us, Lord, that as your children, all things are working together for good to those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. So we pray that as we meditate on this passage before celebrating and remembering what our Lord did for us, that you would help us to worship in spirit and in truth. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This passage in Colossians was brought to us in our staff training this week, and it was just such a blessing for me to meditate on. But I especially was challenged and encouraged by verses 13 and 14 of this passage. So this evening is really more hopefully of an an exhortation and a devotional thought, if you will, from those two verses. One small sentence in the King James that looks like the sentence is longer, but if you have a newer translation, um, at least verses 13 and 14 is usually separated in itself as one sentence. And I want us to just consider that one sentence from this epistle that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. The church in Colossae was a congregation that Paul did not really know. He was not the one who founded that church, if you will. He was not the the person who was sharing the gospel. He says actually there at the beginning in verse 7 how this really was something that was brought to him through a man named Epaphras. He says in verse 7, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul really wasn't aware of the church in Colossae until Epaphras was sharing with him the wonderful news of these people who were being redeemed and who were rejoicing in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul rejoiced with them. And I love that. I think we as Christians can rejoice together because we have something in common. And that is that we have the blood of Jesus Christ who has redeemed us from our sins. And that gives us a reason not only to hope for the future, but to rejoice in the present. For Paul, the church in Colossae was a blessing. And I think that we can take the same encouragements that Paul gave to that church to us as well. He talks in verses 13 and 14. Well, let me back up. In verses 9 nine following, he basically talks about this prayer that he has for them. And he has these requests specifically for the church in Colossae. And I, I believe since this letter in Colossians here is very similar to the one in Ephesians. This is probably a prayer that Paul prayed frequently for churches. But he was praying for them and asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of God, that they would walk worthy of the Lord, that they would be strengthened with the might of God's power, and that they would give thanks to God the Father. All of these things that he was praying for them was really because of what he says in verse 13 and 14 where we read, talking about the Lord, about Christ, about God, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. The King James uses the word has translated us. That's a little more probably confusing in our modern vernacular. Maybe it's a better idea to say transferred, or I have the new King James here, and it says, and has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And then in verse 14, he says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. For Paul, the Christian life was not something that was isolated. 
in the sense that sometimes Christians tend to do, at least in our day and age and in our nation, it's easy to have your, your two lives that you have. You have your work life and personal life at home throughout the week, but then you have your church life and you have your, your, your Wednesday night and your Sunday morning and your Sunday school and your Sunday evening life. But for the Apostle Paul, his emphasis to believers repeatedly was that this new life that you have in Christ is not just something that is external and it's not something that happens only in certain settings. It's a reality of your life that has completely changed. And for him, he would use the picture of citizenship repeatedly. We already saw in Philippians, just one book previous, that Paul talks about citizenship for Christians is not ultimately here on earth, but our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. It's a heavenly one. So it's really related to what he said to the church in Philippi and what he says here to the church in Colossae. So in verse 13 and 14, I believe we see ultimately this truth, that we have been delivered into the kingdom of Christ. And the exhortation is simply, so live like it. We have been delivered into the kingdom of Christ. So live like it. This should be a simple, hopefully a simple reality for us. As far as what, what we have, we've been delivered. And what we should do, live like it. You've been delivered. Live like it. And there's really only two points I have for you this evening. The first point is that we've been freed from sin. Freed from sin. In verse 13, Paul tells the church in Colossae, He has delivered us. The word salvation means deliverance. For the children of Israel in the Old Testament, what were they continually, repeatedly asking God to do for them? Deliver us. Deliver us from the hands of our enemies. What does David cry over and over again in the Psalms? Deliver me from my enemies. And I think it's really easy for us to spiritualize that. David was literally asking God, there is somebody with a bow and arrow over there trying to kill me. Please deliver me. And we're like, oh, Lord, the bow and arrow of somebody's nasty comment to me. Please deliver me from that. For David, this was a very real question. Will I live? And God had assured him, you will be the king of Israel. And God says, oh, yeah? Well, all of those people trying to kill me seems to suggest otherwise. So I'm struggling to believe your promise when literally my life is in danger and in peril. For the children of Israel, when they're crying out in Egypt, Lord, we're in bondage. Pharaoh is oppressing us. Deliver us. And God tells Moses, I have heard the cries of my people. I will deliver. But I think the greatest deliverance ultimately in Scripture is the one that is described in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul. Because whereas the children of Israel knew they were under the bondage of Pharaoh and needed deliverance, and whereas David knew that there were people with bows and arrows and lances and spears and swords seeking to kill his life and he needed to be delivered, as humans, we're completely unaware that we need to be spiritually delivered from the bondage of sin. 
Because Paul says in verse 13 that Jesus has delivered us from something. And what is that something? He has freed us from the power of darkness. Ever since Genesis 3, we as humans do not know that we need to be delivered. If you walk into the street, you don't probably you aren't going to come across very many people who know that they need to be spiritually delivered from the bondage of darkness. On Thursday night, there was a man who came into our church and he was he was looking for help, he was looking for somebody to talk to and so I I sat down and I talked with him for a while and and eventually he was hungry and so I offered to take him somewhere and get him something and as, and as we were walking over there I was asking him about his background. Are you from here? Have you gone to church before? Things like that. And then, as he was telling me all this stuff, I finally asked him, so, are you a Christian? Like, do you, are you a Christian or are you a religious person? And he says, oh, yes, yes, I'm a religious person for sure. And I asked him, well, how would you know if you stand before God and he, and he should say, why should I let you in heaven? How, how do you know? If, you, if you're on your way to heaven. And he, he just looked at me and he said, I, I guess I hope I'm going to go to heaven. I hope so. And over and over again, he kept saying this, I, I hope I'm going to heaven. And it just reminded me of the fact that there are so many people who do not know that they're lost. And they don't know what the answer is, ultimately. They're searching for something intuitively. All of humans are searching for something. We were created to worship. As the great Christian from from the early church history, the early church father, St. Augustine said in his book, The Confessions, where he gives his testimony of how he came to Christ, at the very beginning of the book, he says, O Lord, thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Augustine knew, ultimately, all of us as humans seek to worship something, and we're longing to do that. But the problem is, because of sin, people don't know that they're lost. And so when they're instinctively going to worship something, they'll go to worship everything but the one they were created to worship. So there is a very real kingdom of darkness whose citizens do not know that there is a light that can shine into that darkness. Paul tells the church in Colossae, you once were a part of that kingdom, but he delivered us from the power of that darkness. He freed us from sin. He took his spirit and opened our eyes, even as a passage that always comes to mind from 1 Corinthians that Paul talks about, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians, is that we, as people, were blind and in darkness, but God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in whom? In the face of Jesus Christ. We, 
understand as Christians that we have been delivered from a significant evil power of darkness, a kingdom whose citizens do not know they're a part of, and a, a kingdom whose citizens ultimately are doomed should they remain in it. But Jesus has freed us from sin. He's freed us from the power of the darkness. And that word power is terrifying. Because a lot of times people want to think we're like blank slates. And we can just do whatever we want. Right? We, people tend to think like we're blank slates and you can just choose right or wrong to do good or to do evil. It's, it's, it's doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You can do what you want, so we'd have to encourage people, do the right thing, do the right thing, and, and, it's, and tell people, reject the evil things, do the right thing. But the reality is, is those who are in this dark kingdom are held by a power so strong that of, in and of themselves, they can do nothing to free themselves. Which is why men in the 16th century, like Martin Luther and John Calvin and Ulrich Zwingli were fighting the Roman Catholic Church because the Roman Catholic Church was telling them, all you have to do is do good things. Yes, trust Jesus, place your faith in Jesus, but ultimately recognize that you need the church and you need grace communicated through the church and you need to follow the sacraments and do all these things in order to be saved, in order to experience the salvation of God. And these men said, no, No, because there is a power that is holding and gripping our hearts and our minds so that we do not want to see the truth. It's like you're in a room. In fact, I was talking about about this this morning with somebody. Have you ever gone down into like a mine shaft? So it's a really weird experience. First of all, if you get claustrophobic, it's probably not a good idea. But there is a mine in northern Minnesota, and my mom and dad took my brothers and sisters and I to this mine shaft. And you take this, this big elevator down into the mine shaft, and then you walk down there. And you all have these headlamps on and everything, and, and the tour guide is showing you everything. Well, it's a, it's a terrifying experience, frankly, for me. Because the entire time I was down there, I'm always thinking the worst thing. I'm like, what if this like caves in? We're going to be stuck down here. We're going to be making national news. But the reality is, it was perfectly safe. We get down there, and one of the things that the tour guide does is he says, all right, I want all of you to turn off your headlamps. I did not want to do that, but <laughs> I was like, I don't know, 15 when it happened, so I didn't really have much say. And we all turned off our headlamps. It is the blackest darkness I have ever experienced in my entire life. You could, have, you could wave anything in front of my face. I would not have seen a single thing. And you could hear people talking, but you couldn't see anything. At least even when it's nighttime, you can kind of see shadows and see things vaguely, almost like they're through a veil. But down there, you could literally see absolutely nothing at all. That's exactly what this kingdom is. You cannot see anything. You are blind, or as Paul says to the church in Ephesus, you're dead. You're spiritually dead. You need to be delivered because you cannot deliver yourself. Nothing you could do can earn the favor of God or release you from the power of that dark kingdom. 
But Paul says God has delivered us from it. We have been freed from the power of darkness. We've been freed from sin. And here's the second point, quite simply. You have been freed to serve. He delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us. He's transferred us. He has moved us from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his dear son. Or as some translations put it, into the kingdom of the son of his love. We're no longer a part of that dark kingdom. And furthermore, we no longer have the powerful hold of that dark kingdom. We have been freed. We have been freed to be in the kingdom of Christ. Which reminds me of what the gospel, according to Mark, when Jesus hears that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And here's what Jesus said He said, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We, as Christians, have been delivered and transferred from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. There, in a sense, has been a great escape. It's almost like there's one powerful kingdom that doesn't want any of its citizens to be released or freed. And nobody in that kingdom knows they need to be freed. But there's a strong man, the man Christ Jesus, who went into that dark kingdom and was abused and maligned and lied about and beaten and ultimately killed so that many in that kingdom could be transferred, so that a great escape could happen where people who didn't know they were in darkness could see light for the first time and know what it's like to experience hope, joy, peace. He delivered us into that kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom, in Jesus, we have redemption. He bought us to himself. What act of love could there be greater than that? He bought us for himself, and it's through his blood through the blood of Christ, as Jesus hangs on the cross and he cries out, it is finished. It's not a cry of defeat. I probably, if I were being sacrificed, or you, if you were being sacrificed and you realize you're nearing death's door, you might cry it is finished because you realize that you're about to give up your spirit and die. But for Jesus, this was not a cry of defeat. This was a cry of confident hope, an expectation that he had fulfilled exactly what the Father had sent him to do. So he cries out, it is finished. In the Greek, tetelestai. And he gives up his spirit. So Paul says, when he was shedding his blood, what do we get but what we long for now? The forgiveness of our sins. That's the only place it is. In the 16th century, Martin Luther was having problems with the Roman Catholic Church because they were saying, to get forgiveness, you've got to do X, Y, or Z. Give to the church. Johann Tetzel, selling indulgences to people, and then you will receive forgiveness from God. Martin Luther says, no way. According to the Holy Scriptures, 
We receive forgiveness not through purchasing indulgences, not through getting as many of the sacraments as we possibly can of the seven that are there available to us according to the teachings of the church, but we receive grace and forgiveness of sins through his blood. Tonight, we come before the table that Jesus instituted to his disciples. And we have a cup in there that's got grape juice in it. And we say, this is the new covenant in his blood. It's a reminder of what he has done. This do in remembrance of me. The whole point of this was to remember what Jesus did. He redeemed us through his blood so we could have the forgiveness of sins and be transferred into the kingdom of Christ. That's what we want. And ultimately, it's something that Christ did for us. I'll close with one final passage that really illustrates, I think, a lot of what has happened in the cross of Christ. And it's in Zechariah chapter 3, where Zechariah writes about this high priest whose name was Joshua. And it says, Then he showed me Joshua. This is Zechariah 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. Two kingdoms. Satan, when he tempts Christ, says, All of these things will I give you, because it's been given to me. He believes that he has his own kingdom, and in one sense he does, but he's the kingdom of darkness. And then there is the angel of the Lord representing the kingdom of light, the kingdom of our Lord. And Satan is standing at the right hand seeking to oppose Joshua the high priest. So, verse 2, Then Yahweh, the Lord, said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Notice that it's all caps. This is the covenant name of God. Yahweh rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. I think this is a perfect illustration of what has happened to us when we have been transferred from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of Christ. Just like Joshua, we had filthy clothes and we could do nothing about it. And Satan stands before God and says, look at that. What a disgusting, putrid excuse for a creature you made. And you know, as holy God, you cannot have that in your presence. And so Satan is opposing these people. But God says, I rebuke you, Satan. And he turns and says, take away 
those filthy garments. And then he says to us, I have removed your iniquity. Not you, not something you did. I have removed your iniquity. And I will clothe you with rich robes. It's like that song we sing sometimes, his robes for mine. That's what we have experienced in this heavenly transfer, in this great escape that Paul talks about in the book of Colossians, that we have been delivered. We have been freed from sin, and ultimately in the kingdom of Christ, we are called to serve. That's what we're called to do. So we've been freed, we've been delivered into the kingdom of Christ. That's the truth. So live like it. Now, as we prepare for the Lord's table, I will have you turn to Luke chapter 22. Where Jesus is about to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And then verse 14 of Luke chapter 22. Dr. Luke records for us in verse 14. When the hour had come. He sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. As we remember and reflect on what our Lord did for us in translating us, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness and delivering us to being in the kingdom of Christ, where we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, I think we of all people have every reason to rejoice and be joyful because whereas we did not deserve it, we have been redeemed and bought by, by Christ. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'll ask the men who are helping with the Lord's table to come while I pray. And then after I pray, I'll ask our musician to play while we praise and thank Jesus for transferring us from the kingdom of darkness by his grace into the kingdom of Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love and have transferred us from one kingdom we did not realize we needed to be rescued from and have redeemed us and transferred us into the kingdom of the son of your love. We thank you and we praise you for that. And even as our Lord commanded us to do this Lord's communion, this Lord's table, as a remembrance for what he did, Lord, fill our hearts with joy, with humility, and with hope. For we do proclaim the Lord's death in this till he comes. Please, Lord, be be praised, be magnified, be glorified, and help your people to be satisfied in you 
because of Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen.